0: Welcome to RevSpot. I'm your host, Tanner Green, and each week we're going to be diving into the life and mind of HubSpot's premier players, the Solutions Partners. This podcast is specifically about hearing their experiences, opinions, and ideas about how RevOps and AI are shaping the future. If you're a Solutions Partner or working with one, you're in the right place. So tune in and learn about how they innovate and approach frameworks, processes, and automations in the HubSpot CRM in order to create the true RevOps flywheel. Welcome everybody to the show. We are super excited to have Mr. Dan Moyle himself on the show. He is a a phenom for throughout all of the HubSpot world. Really excited to have him on. Dan, for those... Very few people that may not know who you are. Give us a little introduction on yourself: who you are, what you do. Love to hear it.
1: I mean, first of all, Tanner, I need you in my life as my hype man. To when I walk into a room, any day, you tell my family how amazing I am. This is amazing. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Happy um, to
0: do it. Just, just hook yeah. me up with a like a, a FaceTime every day, and I'll just hop on. There you go. There
1: you go. Um, So I'm, yeah, Dan Moyle. Um, I work right now for, and I have for several years, for an agency, a partner in the HubSpot world, uh, Impulse Creative. I am a trainer, basically. My title is HubSpot Advisor. We have these like levels of who we all are, but basically I train people how to use HubSpot. Um, I've been in the HubSpot ecosystem since 2010. So we're talking more than a decade now, which in tech, SaaS world, I feel like, is like, you know, 10 decades. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's who I am and what I do. I love what I do and where I do it. I've been um, a HubSpot advocate for a very, very long time. I was a fan the first day I opened up that software. So, yeah.
0: Amazing. Yeah. The HubSpot is just fantastic. Everyone who, and what I love about it too, and we'll get into this a little bit later, is just the community is so great. The people inside yeah. of HubSpot is just fantastic. It's, it's so good. Um, So, so, so tell us a little bit about this uh, company that you're working for and, and what brought you there?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, if I go back a little ways first, like when I was a HubSpot user way back in 2010, I was a solo marketer at a mortgage bank. I wanted to do everything. I grew it into a 10 person team. I never wanted to work with an agency. We had a couple of agencies here and there for a couple of things, but I thought, I can do it all right. My team can do it all. We are the ones who understand this brand more than anyone else, uh, an agency wouldn't un- like, we just, we got this, um, fast forward several years and I've made a couple different, you know, um, forks in the road in my, in my career. And I end up crossing paths with Remington Begg, the co-founder and co-owner of impulse creative. Um, and, and we had crossed paths several times over the years in HubSpot. Um, I knew him from meeting him at inbound. Uh, it was so funny because he came to my one of my first presentations at Inbound, and 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 mm-hmm. like he told me this later. He's like, "I just wanted to meet you. I just thought you were amazing." I, and I, of course, that's great for the ego, right? Um, <laughs> but I knew you, you got have like,
0: two hype mans.
1: I I do. I love it. Uh, but I knew who <laughs> Remington least. was. First of all, a name Remington like that's going to set you apart. But also his story. I knew that Impulse Creative was a great place. So we kind of had become acquaintances. Uh, so in any case, I, I got to this point in my career where I, I was looking for something else and he and I had talked over the years and, uh, I actually had him on my podcast at the time and we were talking afterward and I said, so how's the, this, you know, hiring thing going for a marketer? And he goes, I, I can't find the right person. I will, will you come work for me? <laughs> so it was the, it was a great conversation. So yeah, um, so that's how I, how I ended up at impulse, um. And back then, this was, you know, f- almost five years ago now, uh, as we record this, and I was our marketer. Um, and, you know, it, as you find, at least for me anyway, in my career, sometimes you find the right bus, but the wrong seat. Sometimes you find the right seat mm-hmm. on the wrong bus. And sometimes it all works out. When I came here to Impulse, um, it was going, I thought, pretty well. But then it started to, I started to not feel like it was going right. And Remington was like, look, I don't think it's working for marketing but i'd love to have you work with our clients and like do other work. and so i did that mm. for a while and then i i i, I, I don't love client work. <laughs> uh <laughs> i like doing other things. and so as you can tell by my storytelling i'm a talker. and so my boss at the time Julie and i talked and she said, "Hey, look, you know, what about being a trainer? Uh we have this new program we're launching with uh your 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 colleague George and and why don't we have you train people how to you you've been in job spot forever?" And so that's how it worked out to be where I am today. I get to train people and, and use this software that I love and this company that I absolutely adore um, and do it at a place that I love. So there you go.
0: That's that's a really cool story. It's, it's so interesting how just <clears throat> within anyone, really anyone's career, that there's just these little tweaks to it that make all the difference. Because yeah. essentially you were in Hotspot, you were doing a lot of the same stuff in all three of those roles. But it was just the way that you approached it and how you interacted with other people regarding that space, so it's mm-hmm. it's so cool to see that you finally found kind of your calling and what you do best and that's where yeah. that's why you know it's it's just it's always important to keep chasing what you want to do you know and and yeah. and find find your best fit and if you're not super happy then. Yeah, you, know, you can find something. It doesn't have to be some completely new job or new thing in general. It's just different section. Right. So that's really cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a um, good journey. Yeah, I bet. It sounds sounds really fun. So what makes like impulse creative distinct from from other people? From other uh, solutions partners, me. I see. <laughs> exactly. Besides <laughs> no, you. No. No. Besides <laughs> no, you. No, no, no. Listen, <laughs>
1: um I, I'm replaceable. It's fine. Um <laughs> no, here, like what I, what, how I describe impulse is that, um, and, and I think, I think a lot of this, I, I look, our co-founders are amazing people and, and they think differently. And I think a lot of our attributes come from Remington himself because of how he grew up and who he is, and just how he thinks differently. I describe impulse creative as the, the agency or the partner in HubSpot that when somebody wants to do something cool in HubSpot and everybody says, no, we tell them, hold my beer. We got this. wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we like to have a little bit of fun, first of all. So there's that. Yeah. Um of but also truly like you know, we've had people come from even HubSpot and say, Yeah, we, we, we have this client who wants to do this thing, we can't do it, but we thought maybe you might be able to help them. And we're like, Yeah, sure. And we'll build some of the coolest stuff in HubSpot. And it's just creative and custom and amazing. Um, and it's and it's technical. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen some Amazing designers make beautiful websites or campaigns or landing pages, and that's great. We go into that technical side of things where people are like, oh, when I push this one button, does these 17 things, and HubSpot said that it couldn't do that, Um, that's, that's, I think, what sets us apart. It's that thinking differently, having that technical expertise, and just making beautiful things out of it. But truly, Tanner, I think what, what it comes down to is understanding the opera, operations side of it and saying, here's how the, the the code works, and here's how strategy works, and how can we marry those two things, right? If you want to be able to measure the effectiveness of your campaigns, we need to look at the campaigns tool. That makes sense. But if you want to do something outside of that, how do we operationalize it, and how do we use the tool to do it? I, like I like to keep things as simple as possible. I'm a simple guy. I like to tell people on my calls, I'm kind of a dumb-dumb, so keep it simple for me. And I think of operations in a simple sense of how do we make processes repeatable? How do we look at the things that we're doing, whether it's technology or the processes we have or the people in their their places and keep it um, standardized as much as possible so that we can have those boundaries, we can be very creative within those, right? So operations to me, is that side of it. It's a combination of um, strategy and technology and processes in order to make things run smoothly, right? Um, so I, so when I think of like being able to operationalize the thing that you're asking about, I'm going to start with the basics and look at it from that point of view. What do you want to, is, is it a workflow in HubSpot? Is it some kind of a code? Is it more than that? Is it using HubDB? to create a, a dynamic page that shows resources that are put in there by tags. like um, So I think of the operations side of it, the structure of
0: it. Why is it crucial for for a business to kind of start thinking this way? Like, how does it affect them? If, if I were a business owner or a CEO of a company and I'm trying to figure out how to improve revenue, you know, and, and RevOps in general, like is often tied to creating a really nice system in your CRM and making sure everything fits beautifully and, and seamlessly. What, how does that help a business owner, or a CEO?
1: You know, to steal the, the mantra from HubSpot, it helps you to create a flywheel The the more force you add to it and the less friction you have, the less, the less negative friction, the faster it's going to go. Right. If you can create efficiencies, through multiple ways, right? Efficiencies can come from process. Efficiencies can come from innovation. Efficiencies can come from technology. Those efficiencies help that flywheel of business growth just turn faster, right? Um, And and I'm kind of laughing at myself here because when HubSpot first launched the flywheel, a lot of us kind of rolled our eyes and were like, great, they invented this whole thing called inbound marketing, and now they're gonna ditch the funnel and have this flywheel where it's, everything's always new. But I take that back, Brian is our <laughs> mesh, and uh, and and uh, it's it really makes sense, right? Like if your business, you think of it like a flywheel, how much effort does it get does it take to get it turning? Right? There's a lot of yeah. friction on that a lot of bad customer experience and user experience. If there's um, a lot of systems that are slowing you down, it's going to take a whole lot of force to get that to turn. But what if you could reduce that friction and add even more force of like happy customers that are your evangelists out there in the world, telling your story, not like, like I'm doing for HubSpot. Now all of a sudden you have this flywheel moving so fast. So I think that's a big part of what RevOps does. Um, you know, and I think what's nice is that we have, we have vocabulary now that describes what people have been doing per, probably for decades. Right? I got a friend, Doug Davidoff, who talks about this and he's been talking RevOps for 20 years or more. It just wasn't necessarily always called that. Sometimes it was called marketing ops or sales ops. Now it's like the whole, anything that touches revenue is under this bucket and I think it's great.
0: The age of the old CEO is definitely over for sure. But with the CRO i feel like it might be kind of that tag team one two punch of the ceo is kind of that visionary air traffic controller looking at everything kind of making sure everything's good to go and then the the cro is the integrator of like how are these processes working how is this strategy strategically affecting our business and how can we make this all run efficiently is that yeah what do you think what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah, I, I think it's a great analogy. And, and I think that, you know, we're painting kind of some broad strokes here. And, and I think that works for a lot of conversation. Yeah. I do think it, it it always depends, right? That's my favorite marketing term. Well, it depends. <laughs> How do I do? It depends. Um, and I think it depends on situation. I think another role that's in there that might be like, like I think of the yin to the yang of the CEO as the COO, the chief operations officer. Hmm. And then I'm thinking about the CRO as like the, the person that's thinking about the revenue side of it. So like, like not the CEO is not thinking about revenue, but the CRO is sure. thinking about how those different revenue streams come together. Right. So, um, so yeah, so if, if like the visionary is the CEO, the integrator is the COO, then the CRO is kind of a mix of both maybe. And they've got all kinds of people reporting to them saying, okay, here, you know, so, so I think of it as kind of a three prong system. Actually, I think, yeah, you know, and 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 I think depending on, on the size of the company, like you and your co-founder might both wear the hat of CRO for now until you get somebody that does that role or whatever. Right. But but I don't think it has to it's not a binary decision of like you have to have these three or not. Um, <laughs> You know, sometimes you wear multiple hats.
0: Yeah, definitely it's uh it's always depends. Like you said. So in the COO role, what what do you see them what do you see the differences being between them and RevOps and like CRO and what are those kind of distinct differences?
1: That's a, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would say like if, if I were have if I were designing a company and I said okay, uh, we've got our CEO, this is what they do, you know, et cetera, I would think of the COO as the person who heads up all of the behind the scenes like human resources um billing uh finances partnerships vendors they're the operations then a, a, a revops person is is assisting them with the revenue side of the operations part of it you know what i mean um yeah. and so the the revops person whether they're a cro or some other kind of title but they're a revops person they're thinking of operations and revenue, so they're 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 working with or maybe reporting to both the CEO and the COO. Um, so you know, there's a lot of probably crossover in in connections and in conversations and responsibilities and departments and whatever. So that's how I kind of think of that separation.
0: Okay, cool. So I'm thinking in in my mind, like let's dive into a movie for example, where yeah. you've got. Like the director, who's kind of overseeing everything, how they want it to look, and and what they want it to be, and then you've got like the operations. I don't know what they'd be called inside of a movie. I'm not. I don't know much about how a movie yeah. works, but <laughs> I just watch them. Yeah. And right. the you have somebody in the back end, like the backstage director. That's more of the CEO's role, where they have all of these mm-hmm. things happening in order to make. This front stage look beautiful and understand the the nuances, but understanding the nuances between the two is super important. But they each have very different roles. Is is that a yeah. fair analogy? Do you think? Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, like you, I've never made a movie, but I certainly watch it uh, <laughs> and, and yeah. read some books and listen to podcasts. You know, yeah, I think of like yeah, the director is the person who's overseeing everyone and making sure each department brings what they're bringing to the table to the best of their abilities, right? Um, encouraging folks, of course, calling action and so forth and helping the things to be to, to execute, right? Um, but that director relies on, let's say, a director of photography, a DP, to make it look beautiful. While the director has their vision, the DP also has a vision and they work together, right? Now, in our business scenario, I'm not sure, like, if, if the director is CEO, the DP might be their their CMO.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. it's an interesting an interesting conversation. I've never really thought of it this way of, you know, how does it all kind of tie in? It seems like the CRO is becoming almost like rising up in the ranks, you know? It's it's an interesting right. it's an interesting thing. But so back to yeah. kind of the main rev ops side. And your expertise in in marketing and 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 some sales and, you know, in HubSpot in particular. Where are some of the the pitfalls of the handoff between marketing and sales that can really should be fixed
1: for me again i don't want to keep things simple right to me not to simplify it too far it comes down to communication
0: hmm.
1: almost every pitfall i see in that marketing and sales handoff comes down to communication here's what i mean if i think back to my early days of marketing um all of i worked at a mortgage company so i worked with a bunch of uh, loan originators or loan officers or lo's the lo's always told me that well website leads are garbage. I don't ever deal with them because they're just kicking the tires. I want to go out and find my own leads or only work with real estate agents and realtors because they give me good leads. The website's garbage. Like, okay. Too bad they hired me to do that then because not like, okay. <laughs> um, but what I started to do is, okay, if, if I'm going to create this content to educate first-time homebuyers, for instance, uh, what sales team do you need to know? What do you want to know about them? How can I make sure that if you get a lead that we've vetted it? Right. So that marketing sales handoff needs to have those conversations between those two teams. Um, it needs to be collaboration. I don't think I ever went to the sales team and said, here's what you need to know. <laughs> I asked the question because I like to think I did. Um, and then I listened. Right. And then I would, a- I would ask clarifying questions. Um, if something didn't make sense to me, I would either like push back and say, well, are you uh, are, are you sure? Like, do we really need to know their mobile phone? Do we really need to care if they're, they're, what, what their gender identity is? Do we really care? Like whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I would ask those clarifying questions. And so I think that, that marketing to sales handoff starts with communications. From there, what can we build? You know, And so I think of, like the, again, the operation side of it. If we're building some automation so that nobody has to do this manually, with tedious work of checking all the boxes and saying, here's a good lead sales, what if we can use a workflow to do that? And how do we build that up? Should we think about lead scoring? Do we think about opportunity scores? Do we think about um, personas? Do we think about behavior? Uh, Do we think about demographics, if we care? Like, what do we we care about? And so that's where I see the biggest pitfalls is not communicating, not asking your sales team what makes a good lead. And then the second part of that, by the way, is to go look at the actual data. Right? Sales says that if they know these five things about a a contact, a prospect, and they've been to our website 50 times, they're a good lead. We go look at our CRM and we realize that we have a bunch of customers who've never ever seen our website. Does website traffic actually matter? Maybe it doesn't, right? Hmm. Um, So asking the sales team and then putting that into our data and and testing it and then coming up with um, a way to differentiate between a general lead and like a sales qualified lead.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really good point of that communication of kind of taking a step back and be like, do we even need this in the first place? Is this even relevant? Is, you know, asking those questions, it's almost like the sales and marketing team are just kind of bouncing off ideas of each other of what is working. Like, Hey, tell me what is working for you. And and we'll try and do give you more of those and on the flip side of sales is hey tell me where you tend to find these people and you know we'll we'll try and ask form our questions around those people and just kind of slowly you know make that as pinpoint accurate as possible towards ultimately the ideal customer profile i guess
1: yeah that's the dream right being able to to have that communication and understand the buyer's journey looking at things like customer analytics reports or whatever, or customer journey reports. Um, yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah. So on, I don't know how much uh, in your experience, Dan, how much you have with the sales to the, to the customer service side. What are some of those? Are you, are, would you say kind of the same thing is just, it's the communication, that's the most important part, or would you say it's something else?
1: I'm, I'm feeding a fed horse here. It's communication, right? It's (laughs) like, it's, it's feeding a fed horse. I like that. (laughs) It's, it's less violent than the other cliche.
0: Yeah. Um, I've always thought that was weird. I was like, why? This just doesn't make sense. I'll tell
1: you in my experience, um, one of the things that I do as a trainer is I'll get, uh, assignments from HubSpot. And so their sales team will talk to a client figure out why they want HubSpot, what are they going to get out of it, what do they want to get from their onboarding, and we'll be assigned to that file. If there's good notes in there, that handoff is seamless, right? If the notes are bad, it takes a lot more effort on my end to understand the client and work with them. Now, some of that is certainly just policy and people communicating. Some of it is uh, tools. I don't have access to HubSpot's CRM that information may exist in their CRM. I could have maybe gone to that file and say, oh, here's the call they had with them on this date. And here's what the, the transcript is or the summary is because we have generative AI now. Like, here's what I know about the client. So I don't have to ask them the same questions. They were just asked 15 times from the sales team, right? <laughs> um, so that's one of the biggest things I, I find is that lack of communication really hampers that initial handoff and that, that, that interaction and that relationship that sales has worked so hard to build then gets chipped away at because nothing was communicated to the service team. Um, now again, that's a worst case scenario. I wouldn't say that always happens. Not that nothing's been communicated. That's not a very like, <laughs> yeah. concrete there. right? Um, but that's where I see the pitfalls coming from. Um, the second thing is over promising. Right? Um, now mm-hmm. I've worked with sales teams. And I've worked with some amazing salespeople. This, this is in reference to none of them. But imagine a world in which a salesperson overpromises and says, "Yeah, we can do all of that," and then what? you get that, that client as a service team, <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> They're never that way. Every once in a while, that happens, right? And then that that overpromise and under under deliver, man, that's hard to come back from, hmm. right? So those two things, miscommunication and overpromising, I think are the two biggest things from sales into service.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great point. How do you make sure somebody doesn't overpromise? You beat them. No, uh, <laughs> that's, a, you
1: know, I think it comes back to uh, operations. If you have operationalized this process, you have, you have the operations of um, scripts that they can use. They don't have to follow every word, but like they've got scripts, they have documentation. Um, we've used tools like Tetra to make sure we have everything documented. You can go search it very easily and find it. Maybe you've got an internal wiki built on something like whatever that is. Have that stuff there. Um, Using uh, tools in HubSpot like playbooks to walk through, again, a little bit of a script, at least an outline, uh, being trained on what it is they're selling. Right? Imagine Mm -hmm. going to buy a car and the person selling it to you says, Oh, yeah, you don't have to charge this thing. It's like, let's say it's an electric vehicle, like, you don't have to charge it it that often when it's below 20 degrees Fahrenheit which by the way, in Michigan, it is right now. It's super cold. Oh my gosh. In reality, that thing better stay plugged in all the time because that battery doesn't survive all that well in the winter. Right. But if they've never been trained on that, they don't know how to answer that or they they're overpromising, Right.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: mm-hmm. communication, training, operationalizing that process is really important.
0: Yeah. That's a great analogy is you know, they didn't, they have no idea. They've never been in twenty de- below 20 degree weather before. And yeah. they're like, yeah, you're, it's a car. Of course it's gonna turn on. Like it's not a big deal, but they just don't know. So, yeah, That's cool. I, I like that. I think that's a great thought. Um, cool. So what are your thoughts on like how AI can tie into RevOps and how AI can help kind of bridge these gaps between miscommunication and sales, marketing and, and service? Yeah,
1: I think so. I don't know Tanner, if I have a great answer for that specific question. How can AI help curb those those obstacles? Um, where I do see AI coming into play a lot right now, especially generative AI and this kind of thing, is helping us to do helping us to do things that are too big for one person um, right. and making things just a little bit easier so that we can focus on other things so it's kind of like um, when calculators were first invented, I suppose, uh, instead of doing math in our head or with an abacus, <laughs> we were able to do it with a machine and then go do other stuff and discover more things. And I, and I see AI doing that for us today, right? So here's an example. Let's say um, my sales team is, uh, is sending out a bunch of emails and they're just not getting a lot of traction. We could use generative AI to take a look at our subject lines and see if they're just not resonating, right? We could, use gener- we could use AI to look at our analytics and say, here's a bunch of data, AI, analyze this and tell us your top three takeaways for why our open rates have fallen in the last three years. Now, if a person does that or a couple of people do that, that might take hours or weeks or whatever. Yeah. AI can do it in seconds, man, right? So I think it helps us to move more quickly and to be able to think more strategically rather than have to... Sift through data. Now, for those data nerds that want to sift through data, man, go for it. I respect you. Keep doing it. But I'm not going um, <laughs> to. I think that's a big one. I think, you know, again, like thinking about um, looking at all of our data and being able to analyze it, build a report without having to figure out what's the X axis and what's the Y axis and what properties I should bring in and what filters and blah, blah. If I just can ask something to do it for me, I'm happy, right? And so I see that as a future for AI. Um, now again, I don't think technology fixes the problems without having the conversations. If this, these tools like AI help us to move faster, more efficiently, we still have to have the conversations about communicating. Hey, marketing, make sure you're communicating and asking questions to sales and listening and seeing how you can help them. Hey, sales, don't forget to communicate to service or back to marketing. What's working and what's not, et cetera. Don't forget to communicate with your, your prospects, right? Um, so I don't know that it'll, it necessarily inherently solves it, um, but I see it adding a lot of benefit to us as we as we
0: move forward with caution in AI. Yeah. Amazing. I love it. Dan, um, thank you so much. Are there any last pieces of advice you'd give for somebody trying to set up their HubSpot, you know, have any RevOps tips, you know, marketing, sales, service, any last piece of advice you give to, to the listeners?
1: If you want to get into this industry, run the other way. No, I'm kidding. I love <laughs> I love doing this. Um, I would say, so one of my biggest pieces of advice, I think, to folks thinking about HubSpot in particular is um, what I love about HubSpot is that it is powerful, but is relatively easy to use and very user-friendly. It's like if I came to you, Tanner, and I said, hey, Tanner, can I borrow your car to get across town? And you handed me the keys to a space shuttle. That's like giving me something like a Salesforce or Marketo where it's just cumbersome. It'll get the job done, but I got to hire these people to customize and teach me and blah, blah, blah. and I got to have a whole crew and like, no, thank you. Whereas if I said to you, Tanner, can I borrow your car to get across town? You handed me the keys or the fob to your Tesla. I've never driven one, but I can probably figure it out. That's Mm going to be HubSpot in my opinion. Now it doesn't mean that you just run and gun with it and never think strategically. Work with someone who can teach you HubSpot, look at all of the academy content, look at the knowledge base, whatever you're doing, educate yourself for sure. It's going to take some work, um, but it's so much easier to use. It's so much prettier. It's just sleek. I love HubSpot for that. Um, so th- that's a big piece of advice, right? Uh, educate yourself and work in it and listen to folks. Um, as far as like RevOps and stuff goes, I mean, I think we're, I think you said it either on our conversation, or maybe beforehand, um, you called it new. I think the obsession with it is pretty new. I think it's not necessarily a whole new thing. We just have new words for it. Um, so talk to folks who've been doing it for a while and see what, what you can learn from them. Because again, I don't want to reinvent the wheel, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's let's talk to our, our folks who've been doing it for a while and see what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and just keep making it better.
0: Amazing. I love it. Dan, thanks so much for being on the show. How do people go connect with you, find you, get some advice from yeah. you? Because I know that besides those guys, you're definitely one of them that people would want to come talk to.
1: I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on social. Dan Moyle is my handle basically everywhere. Um, but also if you go to impulsecreative.com slash Dan, you'll find my information there as well. You can connect with me at work and uh, we can talk. We can find me on LinkedIn or whatever. We can certainly chat. I love to learn, by the way. So.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Dan. Appreciate you. Thanks, Dan. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show. It means the world to me and these solutions partners I'm working with. If you want to learn more about them, all the details is in the podcast description. Go check it out. See you guys next time.